Welcome to the sermon podcast for Timberlake Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Our mission is to reach, feed, and release people to be the hands and feet of Jesus. To learn more, visit TimberlakeChurch.org. Now get ready for today's message, which we hope will be inspiring as well as challenging. Thanks for joining us. What a strange and fantastic story from Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. It's called the Gerasene Demoniac. Gerasene because that's the region in which the man lived, and demoniac as in he was possessed by demons. And Jesus heals him. And so the question I hope you're asking is, what in the world does that have to do with us, with living out our faith in real life? This is the second week of our series, and what in the world might we learn from the story of Jesus healing a demon-possessed man that would inform how we follow Jesus in real life? That's the question for today. So let's, let's get into it and find out, friends. Um, in the fifth chapter of, the, of Mark, the gospel writer tells about how Jesus came to a region called the Gerasenes. There was a man who lived there among the tombs, and he was possessed by demons. Uh, night and day he cried out, and he cut himself with stones, and he was obviously not welcome in the city, right? That's why he lived out in the cemetery, because he was outcasted. The people couldn't handle him. They didn't know what to do with him. Uh, they had tried chaining him up. Uh, by his hands and feet, but he was so strong and so possessed that he actually broke the chains and uh, set himself free from that, and yet he was still bound spiritually by these demons that inhabited him. Now, if you're reading this story through the lenses of classic Judaism, one of the things you notice right away is all the unclean elements in the story, right? So the demons and the tombs and the pigs Right? If you're a Jewish person, you're like, red alert, red alert, this is bad. And then the question becomes, why is the Messiah there in this place, surrounded by all this uncleanness? Well, we find out right away, Jesus confronts the demon. That's what he's there to do. And he says, what is your name? And it's thought in religious understanding that to know the name of a person is to have some measure of power over them. And so Jesus says, what is your name? And the demon responds, my name is Legion, for we are many. You ever seen a horror movie? You know how like, you get those chills and it kind of scares you? And some of you, you like that. That's why you go see horror movies. Some of you, you hate it. So you never watch any more horror movies. But, but imagine, like, this is in the scene, and, and the man is standing there before Jesus, and this, like, demonic, satanic kind of voice comes out of him. It's low, and it's gravelly. Right Now, it, it, imagine this not just a movie, but it's real life. And you're standing there, and you hear this voice come out of a man. My name is Legion, for we are many. Right? You're scared, right? I'm scared. I'm running away. I'm like, no thanks. I'm peacing out. But Jesus isn't scared. Okay, so that's part of the good news of the story. Jesus is not scared. Um, he confronts the demon. He wants to save the man and pull the demons out of this man's life. And so the man shouts, what do you want to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And Jesus said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. And Jesus cast the demons out of the man and into what? The pigs, these 2,000 pigs on the hillside that were grazing there, and the pigs promptly launch themselves off the cliff, right, and into the sea where they are drowned. And now the people of the Gerasenes uh, see the formerly demon-possessed man sitting there and dressed and in his right mind. 
he has been healed. Um, and so the man who was disturbed is now at peace. And the people who perhaps had peace, now they're disturbed because why? Well, they were afraid of the demon-possessed man, but here's a man who has more power than that. Here's a man who's not afraid of demon possession. Now they're no longer scared of the garrison demoniac. Who are they afraid of now? They're afraid of Jesus because they realize, oh, this man has power of heaven and earth. And the story says they asked him to leave, which we might think is strange, but um, it's not really that strange when you realize all of us have given the Lord the stiff arm at one time or another and said, Lord, let me handle my life, please. I would prefer not to come under your authority and under your leadership in my life. I'd like to live it my way instead. You see, when Jesus saves you, he also demands to be your Lord and demands to have authority over you. And the people were not willing to subject and submit themselves to him, so they asked him to leave. And this is the most significant thing about this story, friends, what it reveals to us about the power of Jesus Christ. That Jesus has the power to save and to heal and to restore. Now, the second most thing, important thing about this story is related to the first, and it is related to what Jesus said to the man whom he healed. So the fellow's sitting there and clothed and in his right mind. He's been saved from evil. He's been restored to new life. He's been restored to his relationships in his community. And he's so enchanted by the grace of God. He's so moved by, by the generosity of Jesus to come and heal him and bless him that as Jesus is getting into the boat to continue on the journey, the man says to Jesus, please let me go with you. Please can I come with you? Right now, put yourself in Jesus' shoes. Let's say you did the healing, and the man comes to you and says, man, I'm all yours. Let me, let me come with you. Let me serve you. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll be your right-hand man for the rest of your life, and I'll go around and tell everyone how great you are because you saved me, and you blessed me. You saved my life today. And if someone said that to you, what would you say? Ride on, man. Sure, come on. I got some laundry needs to be done at the house and some, some, the yard needs to be mowed. You can help out. You know, you can show me your gratitude all kinds of ways, right? That would be hard to say no to, wouldn't it? But Jesus, that's exactly what he says. He says, no, I'm not going to take you with me. Look at, look at it, uh, verse 19. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So what does it teach us, friends, about faith in real life? What does it teach us about faith in real life that this man comes to Jesus and begs him to come with Jesus to be a missionary, to be a fellow pastor, to be an evangelist, to be a champion of the cause, to, to spread the gospel, to heal the sick, to clothe the naked, and Jesus turns him down? What does that teach us? I think it teaches us that often the call of God on our lives is for us to serve right where we are already. I think it teaches us that we can be just as effective here in Lynchburg as we can be going halfway around the world to some place you've never heard of. I think it teaches us that Jesus is sending missionaries into every place, including your home. Friends, do you know that your home is your first mission field? Did you know that? That your family and your neighbors and your friends, they need to know the love of Jesus, and that is your first mission. And perhaps, 
according to this story, the most important thing that you and I can do for the kingdom of God is to tell people what God has already done for us. So Jesus, the Lord of all creation, who understands all mysteries and has all knowledge of heaven and earth, Jesus understands the best place for this man to serve is at home. Go back home, go back to work, go live your life and tell people what God has done for you. Friends, most of us in this room and most of us who are online today joining us, uh, the Lord's call on your life for most of you is not to go halfway around the world and it's not to get a master's degree in theology and it's not to become a pastor. It is to live out your mission from Jesus right where you are already in your life. Do you know in the New Testament book of Acts, which is the story of the early church and the church is growing and they're on fire for Jesus and the Spirit is moving, there's something like 40 miracles recorded in the New Testament book of Acts and all but one of them happen not in the church gathering but out in the world. They happen on the street. They happen at people's houses. They happen at people's businesses. The Spirit of God is moving out in the world, friends. It's good for us to gather. There's, there's no substitute for the corporate worship of God's people to gather together because this is where you come to be recharged and renewed and refreshed and fed at the table. But we don't stay here, do we? We go out. We are being sent out into the world. We said this last week. The goal of the Christian life is not to become a pastor. The goal of the Christian life is not to become a missionary. The goal of the Christian life is to become like Jesus. That is the goal. And Jesus is calling ordinary people to do his extraordinary mission, which means most of the service of the church is not done by pastors. It's done by school teachers and dads and police officers. It's done by homemakers and nurses and grandparents, ordinary people doing ordinary work, in ordinary times like this. And it's in those ordinary places that God chooses to do his extraordinary work. Uh, Think about it like this. When we pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, how does God answer that prayer? How does God answer your prayer? When you pray for daily bread, does God miraculously drop bread from heaven onto the ground so that you might go around and gather it up? Well, God has done that. God can do that if you can go read about it in Exodus 16 when God provided manna from heaven for the children of Israel as they were wandering in the desert. But let's acknowledge that's sort of the exception, right? The rule, the the general typical way in which God provides daily bread is to inspire and move the hearts and the hands of men and women to work in day-to-day lives to put bread on your table, right? Think about all the different pairs of hands that have worked to put bread on your table. God inspires and empowers men and women for this work. Someone to plant the grain, someone to harvest the grain, someone to build the road between the farm and the grain elevator, and someone to keep the truck in good repair so the truck can take the grain from the farm to the grain elevator, someone to take the grain and make it into bread someone to advertise the bread, someone to sell you the bread, someone to put the bread in your little grocery bag so that you can carry it out to your car after you're done shopping, right? Someone at home to fix it for the family. Thank God for moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas who feed us. This is the ordinary way 
in which God gives you your daily bread in partnership with human beings for the ministry of Christ. But in order to see that, friends, you have to see that your small part, whether it's driving the truck or planting the grain or fixing the dinner, you have to see how your small part fits with the whole, right? And don't you dare say, well, all I do is just whatever, right? Because you're thinking of it too small and you're not giving God enough credit. Because what we need to say is, well, I do my small part, but then God multiplies it, you see? And God takes my small part and adds it together with everybody else's small part to do something extraordinary. It requires having a vision, and it requires understanding, friends, that our mission is about people. It's about people. Everybody say people. People. Friends, people are not a means to an end, are they? We don't leverage people for our own purposes. We serve people. That's why we exist. That's why the church exists. And I love the way that we put it in our Timberlake mission statement. Our mission at Timberlake is to reach, feed, and release who? People to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So the goal is Jesus. We're moving toward Jesus, toward his cross. But at the center of that mission is people. That's why we exist for you and for me and for all the people of this community who do not yet have a relationship with Jesus. Our mission, our job is to reach them, to put them at the center of our prayer and the focus of the mission of this church. And so this is my chance to remind you, friends, most of the mission, most of living this out is not in this room, right? You don't come here to observe me doing the mission. You come here to get trained so that you can do the mission. And most of the mission of this church happens out there in the world where you live and where you work in the ordinary places. I always want to try to give you an example of what that looks like. I try to try to make it real, right, so you can kind of get your head and, and your hands around this. So I brought you a couple of, uh, of uh, examples. These came from the Internet, and I know that the Internet is often like a dumpster fire, but um, I found a couple golden nuggets. And if you look, you'll find a couple golden nuggets once in a while, right? So here's one. It's a story of a woman named Sandra Clark. In 1986, a nurse named Sandra Clark could not stay with a patient who had asked her to stay, and this patient was dying. When she returned, the patient had died alone. In 2001, she was key in starting No One Dies Alone, a program where volunteers sit with terminal patients who have no one else to sit with them. The program is now worldwide. Okay, friends, so here's a woman who understood a need, And nurses are busy, right? We ask nurses to do a bazillion things. They're always running around. She did not have the capacity or the blessing of her supervisors, perhaps, to sit with one patient for an extended period of time. So she said, let me create a ministry, a program, where someone can sit and hold the hand of the dying. Is there anything more important you could do with an afternoon than to sit with someone who's dying and hold their hand and read the scriptures to them and remind them of the resurrection of Jesus? Friends, this is ministry by ordinary people in ordinary places. Notice the the grace of God to redeem this, this unfortunate experience that she had and transform it into blessing for countless people. Now that's that's pretty high level and that's pretty transformative. Uh, Let me give you a little bit more ordinary example, a little bit more mundane um, and yet still impactful. Here's a person who put on Twitter. uh, I go to the same gas station every day after work for beer and burritos. (laughs) Today, when I asked for my burritos, the guy said, they're hot. I knew you'd be here, so I made a fresh batch. 
And that's the most thoughtful stuff anyone's done for me in a while. Isn't that awesome? I, just, I love that. I mean, is it, is it possible to make burritos in Jesus' name? I think it is, friends. I, now, I don't know if, if that gas station attendant had that in mind, but see, you can have that in mind. You see, you work at a gas station, you think, oh, well, you know, I just sell the Snickers and, and uh, you know, sell, sell the things to the people and, and I just work the cash register. No, it's way bigger than that, you see? So you're, this man is providing daily bread. He's putting bread on the table of someone and he's doing it in a way with kindness and generosity and thoughtfulness such that that person remembers, oh, yes, I'm loved. I'm loved. So when it comes to your daily walk and mine, how do we know? How do we know whether it's supposed to be like nursing and, and sitting by the bedside of the dying or at a gas station with burritos? Uh, how do you know? Well, one way we know, friends, is through this language that we talked about last week of vocation and calling. Your vocation, your life's work is uh, from the Latin vocare, which means calling. So God is calling you into some kind of work, into some kind of life through which you can use the blessing blessings he's given you to bless other people. And how do we know what that is? Well, that's a good and complicated question and something you need to pray about and wrestle with and read through the Bible with that question on your mind and on your heart. But let me give you a framework today, a very simple framework that you can use to ask yourself this question. How do I know what is my calling and what does the Lord have for me? This is a framework that John Wesley used to use with the leaders in his Methodist movement when they came to say, Brother John, uh, God's calling me to be a leader, to be a preacher, to be a minister. And John would say, well, let's put it to the test. Okay, so this is the lens. This is the framework. Very simply, it's grace, gifts, and fruit. Grace, gifts, and fruit. Those are words you've heard before. Let's understand them theologically. Grace means the unmerited favor of God, the unearned love of God for you to transform your life by the love of Jesus Christ. In order for you to minister to someone else, you first need to understand how you have experienced the grace of God. You need to be able to say, Lord, this is what you've done for me. I'm aware of it. I know it. So now I can do for someone else. That is the grace of God. The gifts of God, friends, are the natural and supernatural abilities that God has given you to bless others in Jesus' name. Some of you are good at math. Some of you are good at music. Some of you are good at working with people. Some of you are good at making casseroles, right? Whatever it is, whatever talent God has given you, you can use it to bless others in the mission of the church. And finally, fruit. Fruit is the outward evidence of the inward transformation. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right? So the outward evidence that God has done a good work in you. And when you put these three things together, this is one clue about where God is calling you to serve, about how you live out your faith in real life. Grace, gifts, and fruit. Put the story of the Gerasene demoniac through these lenses. What was the grace of God for the man possessed by demons? Well, he was healed, right? He was restored, not only mentally, spiritually, but also relationally. Can you imagine what it would be like to be outcast for your, from your community? Oh, you can't live with us anymore. You go live in the cemetery, right? Now he's restored his relationships. That's the grace of God for him. The gift of God for him is to speak his story, to tell it to other people, to go to his hometown and say what the Lord has done for him. That is his gifting 
is that word, that speech that God has given him. And fruit, well, here's the fruit in verse 20. Look at this. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, that's the ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Okay, that's the fruit right there, the amazement of the people who said, oh my goodness, God did that for you. I knew you before, brother, when you were possessed by demons and you were in a bad way, and now I can see the difference. That is the fruit of this man's ministry. Grace, gifts, and fruit. Grace, gifts, and fruit, friends. That is the lens. That is the test. I believe that Jesus has a call on your life. I know that he has a call on mine, and I'll, I'll tell you, uh, honestly, it took me years and years to figure it out. It took me a lot of prayer and a lot of wrestling and a lot of me saying no to God and him calling me and calling me and calling me. So it's probably not going to happen overnight. It won't happen in the blink of an eye. It takes a season of your life to discern these things. But what I can tell you is totally worth it. I don't regret one moment of investment that I put into listening to what God has to say to me for my life, and I'm sure that you will not regret it. Um, I hope that you feel a conviction today that you have something important to do in God's kingdom. I wonder if you have experienced the kind of healing that we're talking about today. I wonder if you've ever experienced healing in your life. Anybody ever experienced physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing? Would you raise your hand? Anybody ever been restored? You ever had your life restored, your job restored, your health restored, your relationships restored? Anybody ever experienced restoration from God? I have. Anybody ever experienced blessing from God with food on your table and friends, people to love you and a job to do? Amen. Okay, so if you raise your hand, then I will say to you what Jesus said to the man who he healed, and that is go and tell people what God has done for you. Go and tell people what God has done for you. It's really that simple, friends, and God can handle the rest. Say amen if you can. Amen. Amen.